0: Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. Today, we'll be talking with one of the best lawyers in the state about government openness or lack thereof. So let's get started first, though, with my recap of some of the week's headlines from the Nevada Independent. The big news this week in the political world is the opening of candidate filing. No big surprises yet. They usually come Friday, and I remind everybody, as always, we are taping this on Thursday. Cliven Bundy's son Ryan did file for governor. He has no chance, but he could siphon votes from the Republican nominee. No word if Adam Laxalt has responded by trying to sue the federal government on the Bundy family's behalf. Still unresolved? Will Congressman Reuben Kewin file for re We may know the answer by the time you hear this, but Keewin has been sniffing around for support after promising not to run because he's been accused of sexual harassment. It's not clear what Keewin is thinking except about himself and the terrible prospect of unemployment. If he files, it is going to be very ugly and the Democrats could easily lose this seat. Please check out our story on the NevadaIndependent.com and our constantly updating chart for the latest news. Michelle Rindell's broke news this week that the UNLV President Len Jessup is being forced out by the Chancellor and the Regents. Chancellor Tom Riley and some Regents are very concerned about Jessup's management, or what they say lack thereof, of the dental and medical schools. He's expected to be out by the end of the semester. One donor, Chris Engelstadt, already has revoked a $14 million pledge. Worse yet, the Rebels didn't even make the NCAAs. Megan Messerly continued her deep reporting on mental health care in rural Nevada with a pair of stories. The condition of health care and especially mental health care in Nevada's 15 rural counties is an untold story of spare resources and erratic policies. Untold that is until now. Megan has not yet begun to write. There's a lot more on the Nevada Independent site to see this week, including Jackie Valley and Rachel SpaceX coverage of the school walkouts in Las Vegas and Reno, along with compelling photos from David Calvert and Jeff Scheid. Our indie blog teems with great nuggets, including Michelle reporting that Attorney General Adam Laxalt signed Nevada onto a Texas lawsuit to defend an anti-abortion law, and he didn't even consult. Governor Brian Sandoval. We also have news of how the Clark County Republican Party canceled convicted felon Joe Arpaio at its convention, Speaker in May. And oh, guess when that speech was supposed to be? Wait for it. Cinco de Mayo. When it comes to Nevada politics, you can't make it up. Why? Because you don't have to. Please check out all of our stories at NevadaIndependent.com and even better, click on that link for supporting our work and please, support our work. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. We'll be back in a moment with Maggie McClatchy, Esquire. Welcome back to Indie Matters. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. Thrilled to be here today with our guest, Maggie McClatchy. She's been involved in cases involving civil rights and the First Amendment for many years, and is known as a give-no-ground, passionate advocate for these causes. She started in Nevada with the ACLU and has been in private practice since 2011. Maggie McClatchy, welcome to Indy Matters.
1: Thank Thanks for having me on, John.
0: All right, this is so-called Sunshine Week, and some people might wonder what Sunshine Week is. It's just a big deal to the press. Maybe it has nothing to do with the fact that we have 350 days of sun or something in Nevada, but maybe in Nevada it should be called Lack of Sunshine Week. Maggie McClutchy what do you think?
1: You know, Nevada on the books has some great sunshine laws. The problem is that in practice, governmental entities resist requests for public records left and right, and in doing so, they break the law. And I'm, I've been doing a lot of work for the Las Vegas Review Journal trying to get access to public records. But you shouldn't have to hire a lawyer to get access to public records. But Media entities like the RJ, like the Associated Press, have to hire lawyers to fight governmental entities who just out of the gate refuse to comply with the public records law.
0: So let's talk about, you say there are some great laws on the book. I've I've watched this for years and and obviously I'm not a lawyer and I won't try to play one here on the podcast. That's what I have you here for. But the public records law seems to have some holes in it that that no one really wants to fix. People talk about it. You say there's some great laws on the book. Tell tell us what's good and what's bad in the public records law in Nevada.
1: Well, first there's a presumption that every single record that's created by our governmental entities is a public record unless it's expressly declared confidential by law. So unless there's a statute that says, for example, that an autopsy report is confidential, then that record is presumed to be public. And when you make a request for a record that isn't declared by law to be confidential, the Government can argue that there's some other interest at stake that outweigh confidentiality, but they have a really heavy burden of doing that so that's so that so that's so that's an example of where our our laws are good. in addition, our public records law also requires that governmental entities, Absolutely have to respond within five days, and it gives them explicit instructions about what they're supposed to do within five days. The problem is, is that the way the governmental entities interpret these laws, they often actually don't respond in good faith in five days. They don't do the things that are that they require, one of the things that they're allowed to do by law, and they just delay, delay, delay. Um, To give you an example, um, an R.J. reporter, Amelia Pack Harvey, was trying to get information about um, reports of misconduct and misdeeds by uh, trustee Kevin Child. She made numerous requests and numerous requests over and over, kept following up herself with the Clark County School District.
0: Let me just stop Um, you for a second. Uh, uh, Let me just stop you. What what kinds of things was she asking for uh, uh, relating to these uh, 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 supposed misdeeds by the trustee?
1: Emails and other, and other documents, um, including investigative materials that related to uh, complaints against trustee child. So, for example, if there were an email from a principal of a school saying, hey, Kevin, Kevin Child came to our school and made people uncomfortable, those were the kinds of things that she was trying to get. Rather than, the, like I said earlier, the Public Records Act says you've got to respond within five days. You can respond in five days and say, hey, it's going to take us a little bit longer to provide you records and give a date certain that you're going to provide records. Um, but what the school district did, and it turns out that its public information officers didn't have any choice to do anything differently during deposition, I found out that their general counsel's office just kept instructing them. To not provide records that they couldn't provide records, and so you see for weeks and weeks, and then and months and months, the, the reporter saying, "Hey, we need access to records. What's the status on my request?" And them just continually responding and saying, "Hey, we're we'll get back to you later. We'll get back to you later," and that's because the the office of the General Counsel, although they never intended to provide any records, just kept instructing their staff to delay, delay, delay. What they should have done is if they, if they truly believed that the records were confidential and that they had a good reason to fight, fight resisting, they should have said that within five days. And then we could have figured out whether or not we, we, we were going to go to court, whether or not we agreed with their reasoning. But instead, they just essentially ignored the request, went through the motions, and we had to go to court to even get them to explain why they weren't producing documents. There was a case um, many years ago called Donray, and in that case, the Nevada Supreme Court said that a governmental entity can withhold a document even if it's not expressly declared confidential by law, but they have to establish, again, that there, there is a claim of confidentiality that applies and that the interest in in withholding the record outweighs the interest in confidentiality. Don Ray just establishes that general principle. It doesn't make any record magically confidential. But what you see across Nevada from state state agencies to local governments is a response that just says, we're not providing the records. We think they're confidential. See Don Ray. And that's a really big problem. I also think it's a really big problem, and obviously there's some irony to the fact that I'm a lawyer and I get involved with these public records requests, but I think there's a big problem when you have lawyers for these governmental entities, sometimes outside counsel, whose mission it is to resist disclosure. That's completely at odds with the, te- the, the text and the terms of the Public Records Act. You mentioned earlier, does it, is it just the media that cares about the Public Records Act? The media, obviously, are the entities that are using Nevada's Public Records Act the most, but what the legislature says in the text of the Public Records Act is that the Public Records Act is important because it furthers democracy. It enshrines the principle that the records of the government are supposed to be open to the public for inspection and, and copying whenever the public wants during business hours. And the idea is that these are our taxpayer-funded agencies. They're doing They're doing work for the people of Nevada, these governmental entities, and the public should be able to access their records. And uh, and get access to them so that we can further the principles of transparency and democracy. So it's not just it's not just an issue for the press; it's an issue for uh, for the entire public, and in fact, for democracy. Despite the fact that the legislature actually talks about this in the very terms and language of the Public Records Act, uh, governmental entities take an adversarial approach to public records in many, many instances. Not in all instances, but in many, many instances. And they try to charge exorbitant fees that aren't allowed by law. They uh, they don't respond in good faith. And mm-hmm. they go to court just to get access to records, which isn't what was... Which is not what was envisioned by the Nevada Legislature.
0: All right, there's a lot to unpack there, and then and that little mini filibuster, which um, Maggie McClellachie and I have known each other a long time. I usually don't let her do; she she she, she will uh, attest. But there, you said a lot of really interesting stuff there, uh, and and I guess what I'm wondering about now. Let, let's go in the general point that you're bringing up uh, uh, it, it's not just about the media because uh, but we are the, the we are the conduit to the public for the public's right to know in, in many of these cases but a member of the public uh, could make these same kinds of requests and should not be met with what you uh, i think accurately referred to as an adversarial approach in in too many of these uh, cases do you think this is just a culture, a general culture of government, a feeling of arrogance, a feeling of superiority, a feeling a uh, patting uh, the media and the public on the head and said, don't worry, we're, we're working in your interest. You don't need to know this. You filed a lot of these cases. You've dealt with a lot of government officials. Uh, is, it, is it a culture that has just become so imbued from state to, 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 to local governments?
1: I don't know if I'd go as far as everything that you just said, but I think to some degree, yes. And again, the problem is that governmental entities don't recognize it and see it as part of their job to respond to requests from the media and other members of the public for for these requests for records. They see it, they'll often argue that it's hindering them from doing their jobs. They'll argue that they should be able to charge exorbitant sums because it's taking so much time to respond to requests. And they ignore the fact that The records don't belong to any governmental entity. They don't belong to a state agency. They don't belong to Clark County School District. They obviously, some records need to be kept confidential, but the general rule is the records belong to the public, and the public should get access to them. And I don't think that governmental entities buy into that principle.
0: You you mentioned earlier uh, that the public record says, as a general matter of principle, that there is a presumption that documents produced by government are a public record, but you, the the situation that you're describing seems to, to to indicate that they start with the presumption that we should try to keep this secret. Isn't that right?
1: They, they exactly that's the problem. They they flip the public records act on on its head when they get a when they get a request for records from a Las Vegas Review Journal reporter, instead of thinking, how do we comply with this request, maybe we've got a question or concern about this request and we can work with the reporter to narrow it, too many times they just write a letter that says, we think these records are confidential um, under Don Ray and we're not going to give you anything. Or in the case of, we, uh, on behalf of the Las Vegas Review Journal, I've been litigating a case against Henderson that's now on appeal at the Nevada Supreme Court. And in that case, a consultant, Elizabeth Trosper, um, had, she ran the campaigns of a number of people who got elected to the Henderson City Council, as you know, John, and she then got, uh, then she, she then got a number of contracts uh, with this, or at least a contract with the city of Henderson, and the, a, a reporter wanted to see what, what was going on there and wanted to get the communications with and about Elizabeth Trosper and her contract just to respond to the request. Henderson wrote a letter saying that just to respond to the request that they wanted thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, in fact, part of what they wanted thousands and thousands of dollars for was to look at the records and figure out what they could withhold from the review journal. And this kind, of, this kind of approach, rather than picking up the phone and saying, hey, we get a lot of hits for Elizabeth Trosper because she does so much work for us, which is sort of ironic if you think about the nature of the request, right. they instead sent up this, they send this letter that says this, is, this, is, uh, this, this, this request is going to cost us so much money to respond to that you need to give us thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars before we even begin looking for documents. And I think it's that kind of action – That reflects a total disrespect for the public records law and, I think, a misreading of a lot of the terms of the public records
0: law. Uh, you you've you mentioned this Don Ray case uh, a few times, which is cited often uh, in, in public records issues. It's ironic, of course, because Don Ray, uh, at that time, was the owner of of the Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, which I have worked for, and which you work for uh, now. But, but what, what about what about what the legislature and what judges have done generally in these cases? Uh, Maggie, have 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 they been helpful? Have they not? Have they stood too much on the sidelines? Have bad precedents been set in the judicial system vis-a-vis the public records law? What's the history show?
1: Actually, I actually think the opposite, and I think the irony of the fact that the gover- that governmental entities keep hmm. citing Donray is that in the Donray case, the Nevada Supreme Court still ordered production of documents, although they did say, okay, we agree with the general principle that even if there is no statute explicitly making something confidential, there might be circumstances in which some claim of confidentiality applies. What they said was that you have to establish that the claim of confidentiality you're asserting is so important that it outweighs the presumption in favor of access. Um, generally, Nevada, the Nevada Supreme Court um, has ruled favorably in public records cases, uh, including in the Donray case. The the case law is really pretty good. And in um, the Eighth Judicial District Court, uh, recently, the Review Journal uh, and in uh, one case, the AP and I have had success after success in getting access to records. I was mentioning. The battle with the Clark County School District. We won that case and won $130,000 in fees and costs from Judge Williams in that case. They've appealed part of that ruling, but we won that case. We also won a case, uh, trying to get autopsy records pertaining to, um, at risk children, uh, who, who die and we, the state does autopsies and it goes to something called a child death review team. In that case, Judge Crockett ordered production of the records. The problem is, is that in response to these wins, oftentimes the government appeals. And while, uh, while litigation is important, and I really enjoy the work that I do enforcing the Public Records Act for the Review Journal, the issue is, the issue is that the law, it can be slow. Even with, even with judges in the Nevada Supreme Court who are responsive and receptive and recognize the importance of the Public Records Act, just by the time you do an appeal, um, and just even by the time you get into court, as you know, John, uh, due to the nature of the business that you're in, uh, time matters. When you're working on things like a request for records about uh, 1 October or we're trying to get the autopsy of, um, of Paddock, people want the records and they want them now. And too many, And when you go to court, that necessarily takes time. Lawyers write briefs. They file stays, they file appeals, and it can take quite some time. But as a general rule, courts are receptive and recognize that the Public Records Act is really important in the state of Nevada.
0: Well, That actually is good news, and those are important cases that you cited. Let's talk about some specifics. You already mentioned the Clark County School District, which is known to be reluctant, and Henderson, which also was is, is, is not known for, for, for performing well in public records. Well, I don't know if any governments are. Uh, the, this recent uh, case, which is uh, maybe an outlier, and I don't even know if it's worth talking about because it's so spectacularly bad, and you mentioned aut- autopsy reports, is this, is this case in which a judge actually tr- essentially tried to order uh, your client, the review journal, to destroy documents. Can you, can you, t- can you talk a little bit about that case?
1: Sure, and I agree. It was, a, it was a very bizarre set of facts. And the case uh, is actually still not done. Um, and, uh, but what, what, happ- what originally happened that the review- is that the Review Journal and the Associated Press um, had filed requests to get access to redacted versions of the victims of 1 October and uh, full documents for Paddock's autopsy. Um, the coroner's office, threw up a bunch of roadblocks, said that the documents are confidential, even though Judge Crockett, as I mentioned, had recently held exactly the opposite um, in a case involving the coroner's office. But in any case, we went to court. We were in front of Judge Williams in that case. We go to court, and we get access to the records. Um, But even getting a court order is often not enough, and governmental entities will figure out a way to delay production. And um, while we did get copies of the redacted versions of the 58 autopsies, um, we still hadn't received the paddock autopsies yet. And then out of nowhere, um, I get a call from an attorney in town who works with, a, with Dave Roger in the Police Protective Association. The attorney's name is Tony Scrow and Tony calls me and says, my client, um, I have a client whose husband died on 1 October, and she wants her autopsy back, um, and her husband's autopsy back. And I explained to him a couple of things. One of one of which is that we had received it, the 58 autopsies in redacted form, not redacted race and other information that might have allowed figured allowed reporters to figure out which which autopsy belonged to which victim. Uh, all that information was redacted, and so we didn't know which which was which. In addition, we didn't think that there was a legitimate reason to have to return it. While of course everybody, everybody's heart goes out to the widow of an off-duty police officer who uh, rose to the challenge when these when these events started uh, unfolding and ended up killed, acting to try to address the situation. This lawsuit that they fought, that they ended up filing, isn't something that can bring them the relief and cure the awful pain that the family must be suffering. And they ended up filing suit anyway. The other thing I had told them before they filed suit is that not only did the RJ and the AP have the documents of the 58 victims, but once the court order came out, the coroner's office uh, in, the, in the county ended up releasing them to every single media entity who had requested those records, which, as you can imagine, was, was scores and scores and scores of media outlets from across the country. So they know that everybody's got copies of these autopsies. They know that they're redacted and I still can't figure out what the case is about and what the real motivation is, but they go ahead and they file suit, and they file suit, and Judge Scotty issued what's called a, a temporary restraining order, um, re- barring the review journal and the AP from reporting on the autopsy of Mr. Hartfield, and uh, eventually, in, after a court hearing, um, ended up ordering that either I get the documents back from my clients or that the coroner's office Uh, Counsel could go into the newsrooms of the AP and the RJ and get the documents back. Um, uh, This obviously violated the First Amendment um, and the Nevada Spring. We filed the same day as we ended up having a hearing in front of Judge Scotty and getting, uh, and he issued a preliminary injunction in the case, um, making the the temporary restraining order longer um, and worse. Um, we filed the same day. Uh, my office filed an emergency petition on behalf of the RJ and the AP, and um, that was granted by the Nevada Supreme Court. They have rec- they did a petition for re- for rehearing, and they've now done done an en banc petition. Um, so they're still they're still fighting it. I'm confident this is not just uh, my opinion, but um, decades and decades of Supreme Court of the United States jurisprudence. That prior restraints are presumptively unconstitutional. That's exactly what we had here, but it was really a bizarre set of circumstances where we won. We we thought we had we thought we had done our our job for our clients. We had gotten access to the records, um, but then this lawsuit happens, and we're having to fight a an unconstitutional gag order and prior restraint. Um, so that that was a, that was a, a difficult set of circumstances, but. To illustrate the issue with um, governmental entities um, over being always erring on the side of non-production, despite the fact that we had a clear court order requiring them to not just give us the victims' autopsies but also Paddock's autopsy, the minute they got the TRO in the Hartfield case, um, the coroner's office said we can't give you the we can't give you the Paddock autopsy either until this case is resolved. We did eventually get clarity from Judge Scotty. And uh, they did have to release the Paddock autopsy, but that case had nothing to do with Paddock. They interpreted Judge Scotty's TRO in a way to um, in a way to limit to to limit them from having to produce Paddock's autopsy, which I had been following up about almost every day, every day after the. I might be exaggerating slightly, but I had been following up day after day after the hearing in front of Williams that granted us access to the Paddock autopsy. Um, and it's it's even when you win a case, it can be hard to get compliance in quick fashion. Um, and when you're working for reporters in a newspaper and entities like the RJ and the AP, obviously you want to get the documents and you want to get them fast. And that that case just illustrates sometimes the challenges with doing
0: that. That case is, is just astonishing to me and because it's such, a, the, it's such an obvious case of prior restraint. Obviously... Uh, unconstitutional, uh, Maggie, and, and and I and I'm wondering uh, 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 how how. Anything like that could even get to this point where the R.J. actually and the A.P. have to hire a lawyer to try to stop what is an obvious prior restraint. And think how much money is being spent and time is being spent on something that is so obvious. And nobody, nobody does not have sympathy for these victims, uh, families of of, of of the One October tragedy. But this is a government document the, 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 there is there is no good argument for this government document being kept secret and worse the spectre where the rj has to send out a memo to its weekend crew saying essentially the government may come knocking on your door demanding these documents be ready i mean it, it, it's 1984ish it's the kind of, i don't want to be melodramatic here but let's hope that that kind of thing really is an outlier maggie
1: I, absolutely, and I think one thing that we have to be careful of is that even when something unprecedented that's seemingly unprecedented and hopefully unprecedented uh, for Las Vegas happens, like the one October shooting, we don't all of a sudden suspend the rule of law, we don't all of a sudden suspend the Public Records Act or the First Amendment, and in fact, arguably the First Amendment and the Public Records Act and access to information is even more important because the public has a right to know and assess what happens. And I think the bigger concern in the Hartfield case is that they've indicated that they, despite the, despite the ruling from the Nevada Supreme Court, and despite what I think is clear case law, they've indicated, the plaintiff's counsel has indicated that they're going to keep fighting this case. Um, And I don't know what they're fighting. Again, I don't really understand the case and they can't they can't point to anything that either the RJ or the AP actually did in their reporting that violated Mr. Hartfield's privacy. And in fact, they can't because I think all of the reporting done about the autopsies has has been appropriate, tasteful, and nobody has ever tried to figure out which one is Mr. Hartfield's autopsy report and reveal that in any way, and in fact, the irony of the case, too, is that the only thing that could risk revealing who, which one belonged to Mr. Hartfield, is if I had had to pull it out of the documents and give it back, then I'd be able to figure out which one it was if I ultimately, if at that point I had complied with the order, I didn't, I filed an emergency, uh, filed for emergency relief instead. But if I had complied immediately with the order and then prevailed right now, I would know which one was Mr. Hartfield. Exactly. exactly. that's That's a big problem in that case.
0: I'm sorry to cut you off. We only have a few minutes left. And if I have to cut you off a couple times, I apologize because everything you're saying is, is, is so great and so interesting. But uh, I, I do want to make sure that we feel that we stay to the time. There's a couple of things I wanted to get to. And you've mentioned that already. And, and I want to look at this from the other side. Uh, and that's the government side for a second and the issue of privacy. No government can actually be efficient and get its job done if every single thing that it does... It has to be made public. Private conversations need need to occur. I'm not crazy enough to, to think that. I don't think you are either. I, I guess it's where the line is being drawn by these governments that's the issue. You you would not say that they don't have a right to keep certain things private, right?
1: Oh, no. I don't think that there's... I don't think that literally every document is a public record. But what, what I think is that there's... A, if you look at the actual text of the <laughs> Public Records Act, it says except as otherwise provided in blank, 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 and it's got a long list of statutes, and it says, or otherwise declared by law to be confidential. There are exceptions to the Public Records Act. And if something's confidential by law, or there's a statute on point, then the governmental entity absolutely does not have to provide it. Um, they also don't. There's also protections for governmental entities I- enshrined in the Public Records Act to avoid people uh, trying to pursue nuisance requests look I do not think the fact that the RJ makes a lot of requests and seeks a lot of documents makes the RJ a nuisance requester that's not what we're talking about but there is a provision in the Public Records act that says that if a request allows for extra- requires extraordinary use of personnel that they can charge a certain fee how much they can charge is always uh, is always a matter of contention but it does allow that for example if somebody went to the Secretary of State and says I want a copy of every business license for every for every business entity, every filing for every business entity in the state of Nevada. First of all, they can charge copying fees. In addition, if it's a nuisance request like that, they can. the, the Secretary of State could say, we're also going to have to charge you an extraordinary use fee. So there are protections in the law. There are lots of statutes in Nevada that explicitly do make certain records confidential. And the Nevada legislature, I think, rather than somebody sitting Uh, in responding to a public records request, I think the Nevada legislature is in a better position to determine what should and shouldn't be confidential. Of course, I think the Nevada legislature, though, John, should be subject to the Public Records Act, and that's obviously uh, that's obviously a dark spot in Nevada law. Yeah, let's talk Nevada about that for a second.
0: I'm, I'm glad you brought itself. that up. Hang on just a second. Yeah. Sure. Let me, let me, they, they, the, the legislature has exempted himself. That, that, that's one reason they've gotten uh, away with not reducing, um, uh, putting out certain documents, we and other media outlets tried to get the r- r- investigative report on Mark Menendo, who resigned after a sexual harassment in, in, in investigation. Uh, I I actually had mixed feelings about that in the sense that the journalist and me said that this should be released. On the other hand, I was afraid of these brave women who had come forward of their identities being being uh, uh, revealed in such a small state in a small arena, even if their names were were, were redacted. But that that clearly is a public document, in my opinion. Uh, the legislature, though, exempts itself from the open meeting law, exempts itself from the public records law. I don't think they're going to change that. But what could the, what should the Nevada legislature do? I hate to say this phrase, but I'll say it anyhow. If Maggie McClutchy were God, what could be added to the public records law that would make it better?
1: Well, I do think that the Nevada legislature should not be exempted. That's, that's number one. Number two... Um, because of the – I think that we need to fix some of the loopholes in areas in the law that are subject to abuse. For example, I think that there needs to be a clear deadline by which they need to produce public records. I think we also need to um, limit their ability to rely on Don Ray and to just um, come up with nebulous, uh, nebulous claims. And I think we need to make it, make it clear that they need to respond meaningfully within five days. Um, to public records requests. And frankly, we may need, at one point in Nevada, In Nevada, it was a criminal, the public entities and people who worked for them could be subject to criminal penalties for not uh, complying with the Public Records Act. Those have been taken out. And frankly, I think that maybe some sort of fine mechanism needs to go back in. Um, one thing that is in place in other states is sometimes there's an ombudsperson who, worked, uh, who works for the state and addresses failures to respond to requests. I have concerns about how effective that would be in a state like Nevada. Um, It's a little bit like the DA's office having in their office an integrity unit embedded within the DA's office. I'm not sure that an Ombuds person is necessarily the solution, but it's something certainly that we should look at. But I just, I think that we need, I think that we need to uh, address some of the issues like we need to make it explicit in the Public Records Act that a public entity cannot charge to have its attorneys go through records and figure out which ones to withhold and redact, like Henderson did in the Trosper case. That's the kind of thing that I think we just need to spell out, because while it says in the Public Records Act that governmental entities... It, it provides instructions that the terms of the Public Records Act are supposed to be interpreted liberally in favor of disclosure and exceptions narrowly. We see the opposite with governmental entities and their lawyers, and so I think we need uh, more clarity. And as much as I like litigating these public records cases, I'd actually like to see a day where the R.J. doesn't need to hire me to get, a- to get access to records that are public under the law.
0: Real quickly, we only have a minute or two left, but the, the, the R.J. Uh, pays you uh, uh, to do this and you're worth every penny. Uh, b- because of, of the great work that you do, but I'm going to ask you now to, to give some free advice to people in the media in general in making these requests, considering all the constraints we've talked about. What should the media do when it's trying to get information from a government to make it easier or to put them uh, in a more difficult position to resist?
1: Uh, put it, put it in, put it in writing. Make clear what you're seeking. Um, make it narrow um, and. Because governmental entities delay sometimes in providing records, uh, maybe prioritize different things that you're trying to get and send out different requests. Call the public entity and try to work with them um, on narrowing requests if they're running searches and emails, for example. And um, I mean, honestly, keep hounding ha- keep the governmental entity that you make the request to um, and try to, try to work with them. To see, to make sure they understand, put everything in writing. If somebody, if a reporter has a call with a governmental entity, um, follow it up by an email, um, and just keep on, just keep on
0: them. Maggie McClatchy, uh, uh, you and I have known each other a long time. You know, I'm, a, I'm an admirer uh, of, of your legal abilities, and I can't tell you how much uh, people in this state should be thankful for the kind of work that you're doing for the, for, for, for the Review Journal. And as much as I know you've enjoyed mentioning the Review Journal as many times as possible on this podcast, I'm thrilled uh, that they have you on Retainer. Th- thanks for joining us uh, today, and thanks for doing all the work that you do. Thanks, John. I'll be back in a moment to finish up the podcast. Welcome back to Indie Matters, the podcast of the Nevada Independent. I'm the editor of the Nevada Independent, John Ralston. I want to remind everybody that our podcast interviews uh, air on KUNV, the university's radio station, 91.5 The Source, at 8.30 on Thursdays. I also want to tell everybody that the university and uh, the Nevada Independent are partnering on a big event on March 26th. That's a Monday evening uh, at the Student Union. We'll be putting on our first Uh, indie forums. It's called State of Pot, and we have a fantastic uh, series of panels with experts, including a former U.S. attorney, and we have a former Department of Justice uh, staffer flying in from Washington to talk about all the legal implications of the marijuana industry, and we have a lot of uh, folks in the business uh, uh, to talk about that, too. It's going to be a great event. You can get uh, the, 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 the tickets by going online uh, and, and go on the Nevada Independent site. And you can find it if you have any problems. You can email me at Ralston at TheNVIndy.com. That's all the time we have for this edition of Indie Matters. We all always want your feedback. We want to know what you think, whether it's ideas, criticism, or even praise. Email us at ideas at dnvindy.com. Check out the site. I've mentioned it a few times. The Nevada Independent is at thenevadaindependent.com. You can go on iTunes and a bunch of other places and subscribe and rate us. Tell us how wonderful we are. I want to thank Maggie McClutchy again for being here for that fantastic chat about during sunshine week. I want to thank, as always, our wonderful hosts here at KUNV on the campus of UNLV. And as always, many thanks to Joey Lovato, our fantastic producer who makes us all sound. And I usually have somebody else say this because I don't because I don't say it as well. Podcast smooth. I'm John Ralston. Thanks for listening to Indy Matters. And we'll talk to you next week.